Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Monday broadcast. So glad that you are joining me. You know, we've been going through several beliefs that we as fellow believers should embrace. And I came up with 30 of them, and it's probably going to take me a year to get through all 30 of them. But we're on belief number nine, and that is that we are to be good stewards because good stewards always win. Now, Timmy didn't want to put his money in the offering plate on Sunday morning, so his mother decided to use some creative ways and creative reasoning with him. And so she said, you don't want that money, honey. She whispered in his ear, quick, drop it in the plate. It's tainted. Well, horrified, the little boy obeyed. After a few seconds, he whispered, but mommy, why was the money tainted? Was it dirty? Oh, no, dear, she replied. It's not really dirty. It's just taint yours and it taint mine, she replied. It belongs to God. Well, the purpose of today's message is to help you to look at one or maybe two areas of your life that you need to change, something that you need to better manage. I guess you could say that I'm praying that today's message will challenge you to make a change in just a couple of areas of your life based upon the love that God has for you, based upon the benefit that you will receive and your family will receive and your church and our community. So I'm asking you to make just a few changes, okay, as you listen to the broadcast today. Now, most people, by nature, are reluctant to change. I don't like to change, you know. I kind of get in the habit of doing the same things over and over again. And so recently I've made a few changes and I've changed my morning routine. And I found out that caffeine was causing me to have, uh, the coffee that I have every morning was causing me to have some issues with a heartburn. And so I've gone to tea. So they said that if I drink this ginger tea, it will be better for my digestive system and I'll have less uh, heartburn. And so my morning routine has changed. So that means when I wake up in the morning, I'm no longer getting that burst of caffeine. Uh, Instead, I'm drinking the caffeinated tea, and I'll let you know how it goes, but it's a change that I've been very reluctant to make, but I think it's helping me. So anyway, as we think about change, I think about my children when we were moving into a new house, and uh, they loved this new house until the first night that we stayed there. And all of a sudden on that first night, uh, Tyler, my oldest, who is now 30, said, well, Dad... I, I want to go back to the to the old house. I, I thought this new house was a great place to visit, but I want to go back to my old house. Uh, we do not like change, do we? And so when we think about change, the Bible is a book that is a God's love letter to us, but it's also a book that challenges us to change and gives us the ability to change. Now, some Christians will never live up to their full potential because they haven't learned the discipline that we're talking about today. They haven't learned biblical stewardship. When I think about change, the pain of change for many people seems greater than the pleasure of something different. And so when we think about change, uh, it is tough to make a change. But I'm hoping that after you listen to today's message, when it comes to this matter of stewardship, that you will understand that God is very interested in how you steward your time, your talent, and your treasures. Jesus talked about treasures a lot. He talked about stewardship a lot. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables that he gave were concerned on how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, we see an amazing one out of every 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers over 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, 
but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did heaven or hell combined. So the relief of some, and maybe to the disappointment of others, I'm not talking about stewardship of money, but I will say, if the shoe fits, put it on, right? As you look at that phrase, if the shoe fits, uh, that's a phrase that goes way back to the 1700s. If the shoe fits, it's an idiom, and it means that we're to have something. If it applies to us, then we accept it. We wear it. Stewardship is a sign of spiritual maturity, managing something that does not belong to you. This is how Paul put it in Galatians chapter 4. He says, now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Now, don't get hung up on what Paul is talking about in reference to a slave. Paul is saying that as a child, you don't have any rights to receive your inheritance. It's held by somebody else. It's held by guardians, and it's held by stewards until you are old enough to receive the inheritance. And so he's making an argument here that as we grow up, then we can handle things as stewards. And if you are a person that is getting up in age, and maybe you have a will, and uh, I have a will, and, uh, and when my kids were younger, my kids would not receive their inheritance until they turned of age. Now, they've turned of age now, so I've had to change my will, but I didn't trust them as children to receive an inheritance. They weren't ready for that. So Paul says, even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage on the, the elements of the world. And so when we look at a good steward, a good steward is one who manages something that doesn't belong to him. He oversees the affairs of another. He's called a manager or a governor. And in the Bible, a biblical steward is actually called a minister. Now, every power that you have, every faculty that you have uh, to move your limbs and to move all about is a gift that is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to God's service, you would not give him anything that was not already, in a sense, his. He has given us everything that we have, so we ought to be good stewards of everything that he has given us. Somebody asked Winston Churchill one time, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? For a period of time, Great Britain stood virtually alone against Nazi Germany as it dominated the Western world. This was Churchill's response. He says, it was that time I repeated a class in grade school. The questionnaire asked, you mean you flunked a grade? Churchill said, well, I had never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. So let's look at some habits today of good stewardship. We're going to look at the habits of a good steward. We're going to look at the heart of a good steward. And then we'll finish it up by talking about the hope of a good steward. So we've got a lot of verses that we'll be covering today in the broadcast, but look at some of the habits of a good steward. First of all, a good steward is very faithful in waiting. Uh, that is a mark of a good steward. Luke 14, 42 says that a faithful and a wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over him. And then we see faithful and ready. And then Jesus drives home the same point in Matthew when he says, be ready for in such an hour that you think not, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. So here's my question. Who does God put in charge of his affairs? The one who is faithfully carrying them out. The one who carries out the orders given by the Father. 
In Luke chapter 12, starting around verse number 22, Jesus is telling his followers not to be afraid. Now, you know how it goes. Uh, Think about the birds of the air, he says. They don't sow, they don't reap, but your heavenly Father takes care of them. Now, Jesus is not saying to be irresponsible. He is saying, be prepared. Don't worry, because you're prepared. His point is, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So the treasure in this in these eternal things is where our heart should be. Now, how do we know our treasures are in eternal matters? We follow the money. <laughs> that famous expression, follow the money, right? Now, Jesus knew the disciples were having a hard time with this. And so he says, okay, you must use your time wisely without being a hermit. Uh, you're a good steward, and you're going to keep things moving ahead. And so in Luke 12, 35, he says this, stay dressed for action, be ready for action, and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. And so when we look at this, we see there was different degrees of punishment for those who were not prepared. Uh, Some were beaten with many blows. Some were beaten with a few blows. And then it concludes by saying, of whom much is given, much is required. So here the point is, we must be faithful in waiting, but that doesn't mean we're going to be idly doing nothing. We are prepared, but not worried. Maybe we could do it this way. It's like taking a trip. You prepare for the trip without knowing exactly how long it's going to take you, because delays may come. And now I know uh, as I make my trip every day from Moyoc, North Carolina, the mega metropolis of Moyoc, I know that when I make this trip from Moyoc to Newport News, Virginia, I know that I may be interrupted. Along the way, there's only really three basic ways that you can get across uh, up into Newport News and Hampton. And so I know that if the monitor Merrimack is backed up, then I might have to uh, go a different way. I might have to go to Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. And, and if that is backed up, I have a third option, the James River Bridge. And so I have three basic options. And so I'm always watching on my GPS to see what is the quickest route for me to go. Now, sometimes no matter what you do, you get trapped, right? And so I've learned to have a even a backup plan if those three routes are not cleared. So I know where pretty much every bathroom is because I, I have a, a son with me uh, that has autism and I never know uh, because he's nonverbal, he may give me that sign in the middle of the interstate that he's got to go to the bathroom. So I kind of know where every bathroom is. I know where every Chick-fil-A is and I know where every fast food restaurant is. And so if I have to make a quick exit, I am aware of where all these places are. Now, I'm hoping that I don't have to use this knowledge, but I am prepared so I don't have to worry. I love how Isaiah put it. Isaiah says, but they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. He's not talking about those who do nothing. He's talking about those who are being proactive as they're waiting on the Lord. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weak. So a good steward, first of all, is one who is faithful in waiting. Somebody put it this way. God will never trust you to be a ruler over many things, and to have learned to be faithful in ruling well over little things or few things. So be faithful in waiting. Number two, a good steward is one who lives in wisdom. A living on purpose with some determination means I'm going to be living with wisdom In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes these words, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward 
that they should be found faithful. Faithful in living out the wisdom of God's Word. We are called stewards. That means that we are taking the mysteries of God and we are giving those to others. We are managing those mysteries well. In one place, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. And then Peter says the same thing. Would you pray as I'm giving out the mystery of the gospel that those who are listening to me will understand? In other words, that they will be able to understand the gospel. You see, we've been given insight. We've been given instruction. We're expected to live in good wisdom. A good steward is wise. He understands he's been given much, and so he must live out the message of the mysteries of God. Paul put it this way to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, another way of saying this verse is to say that our faith has not been standing in the wisdom of men. Our faith does not come from men, but it comes from God. Now, one of the terms that we see in this passage is that Bible believers have used this word mystery. There's a mystery to our faith. You see, the Bible uses that word mystery. It means that it is going to be revealed. Something that was previously hidden will be revealed. It's a secret, a sacred secret that has been revealed. God wanted his people throughout the world to know the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ living in you, giving you the hope of glory. That's how Paul said it to the Colossian believers in Colossians 1.27. We are these highly flawed, marred-up jars. Within us is Christ living within us. That is the mystery. Now, the New Living Translation kind of helps us to understand it just a little bit better as we look at that same little phrase. The secret was hidden during the Old Testament period, but was revealed in the New Testament. And so as we look at that word mystery, I love how it's put in 1 Corinthians 2, 5, and 7, and it says, so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power among the mature. However, we speak a message of wisdom, but not the wisdom of this age or the rules of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of the mysteries and the hidden wisdom of God, which is destined for our glory before time began. What a blessing that passage is, that God has given us that sacred secret, Christ residing within us, the Holy Spirit taking up residence within us, and we become divine illuminators, right? Uh, We are able to share this mystery of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That is a matter of stewardship. We're living as we are faithfully waiting, and then we're living in wisdom. In other words, we're not operating on the same mantra as the world is. We are driven by the Spirit of God. We have become stewards of the mystery of God. There's something else that we need to understand when it comes to this matter of being a good steward. We are also to be living blameless in all of our ways. You see, one of the ways that I know I'm a good steward is when people look at my life. They say something different about you. Not that you're perfect. We will never attain sinless perfection, but we can have a blameless life. In Titus 1.7, it talks about those who want to be an overseer, those who want to be God's stewards. They must be above reproach. They must not be arrogant, must not be quick-tempered, must not be a drunkard or violent, 
or one who is greedy for gain. Did you ever think about the fact that you are so valuable to God that He chose you very early and He chose you with enthusiasm? Yeah, that's what Paul said to the Ephesian believers in Ephesians 1.4. He says that God chose them before the creation of the world. And when He chose us, not only did He choose us for salvation, but He also chose us to be holy and to be blameless in His sight. In the Discipleship Journal, there was an article written by Don McClellan, and he writes that there was a manager, John Killinger, who was a manager of a minor league baseball team. And he got so disgusted with his center field's performance that he ordered him to the dugout and he assumed the position himself. So here we have this manager going out there trying to show this center field that this is how you play the position. Well, the first ball came and it entered into center field and it took a bad hop and it hit the manager right in the mouth. Well, the next one was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun, and then it bounced off his forehead. Well, the third one was a line drive, just a hard line drive, that unfortunately flew right between his hands and and smacked him in the eye. Well, furiously, he ran back to the dugout, grabbed the center fielder by the uniform, and he shouted, You idiot! You've got center field so messed up that I can't even do a thing with it. When we think about blameless, blameless in all of our ways, that doesn't mean we're blaming others for our shortcomings. That means that we look at our lives and God looks at our lives and others look at our lives and they say that you are not perfect, but the bent of your life is toward righteousness. Now, sometimes this term blameless can be misinterpreted as requiring perfection of some sort, but rather it requires three things, okay? If you're living a blameless life, if you're a good steward of your life, number one, there is this cleansing that has taken place, that you are perfectly cleansed by God, forgiven by Him through Jesus Christ. You are declared righteous. So this is perfect cleansing that is a declaration by Jesus Christ Himself, declaring us righteous because of what He's done for us. Number two, there is this consistent growing. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. I guess you could call this the doctrine of sanctification. That is a progressive doctrine where I'm becoming more and more like Jesus every day. There's this consistent growth in my life. It's not up and down and all over the place. It's a steady incline, like going upstairs. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And then number three, we say persistence to our prayer life, becoming more and more dependent on Jesus. And Psalm 19, 119 rather, It expresses this goal. Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those who are blameless, okay? Those who have been declared righteous, who walk according to the law of the Lord. In other words, I'm living according not to the Ten Commandments. The psalmist here is talking about the law of the Lord, referring to the the word of the Lord. Verse number two says, Blessed are those who keep his statues and seek him with all of their heart, having to do with this matter of constantly growing more like Christ. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. So we've learned so far today that those who are good stewards have learned to wait. You know, when you make a uh, deposit into your 401k or whatever retirement plan that you have, I have a 403b plan, uh, whatever, you you just wait, right? You keep investing and then you wait. You don't pull it out. Uh, You keep investing, waiting for it to have a return. So a good return uh, is is what we're waiting for. So we don't get, uh, we don't lose our patience. We wait. And then we walk with wisdom. And based upon what Christ has taught us, we're walking and revealing the mystery of Christ through our lives. 
And then number three, we're walking blameless. But number four, we're to be generous in our gifts of worship. 1 Peter 4.10 says that each one of you should use the gift, whatever gift that we have received, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Serving others. You know, when you have a gift, that gift should be used to serve others. That is an example of the heart of a good steward. Well, I want to look at a passage, I think, that covers the heart of the good steward, and then I'm going to give you just a couple things to take home as you think about what it means to be a good steward. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. You say, man, I thought it was Mother Earth. I thought it belonged. No, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. That is the world, and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, and he established it on the waters. And that goes way back to Genesis chapter 3, where God created the heavens and the earth. Did you know before God created earth, there was sea that covered the entire land, and then he separated the sea from the land, and God established it on the waters, established the earth on the waters. And then he asked a question. The psalmist asked this question. Now, who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who has access? Who can stand in his holy place? And then he answers his own question. He says, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who doesn't trust in an idol or swear by a false god? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is this generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. The God of Jacob, lift up your gate, you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong, mighty in battle is he. When we think about being a great steward, God has called us to have this opportunity to be great stewards. There is a hope that you have. There is an honor that you receive. And we find this clearly in Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, do it and work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive, there it is, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. There is an inheritance that we're going to receive if we are good stewards of what God has blessed us with. Not only do we get that future reward, but we have everlasting joy. I don't know about you, but I want to get it at the end of my life as I'm getting ready to meet my Lord and Savior, and I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That is the hope and the joy that we have. Well, are you a good steward? Here's a couple ways that you can test yourself to see if you're a good steward. Number one is the matter of time. How do you use your time? Does God have a portion of your time? Or do you realize that God owns all of my time, all 168 hours of my week? How do you use your time with your family? How do you use your time at work? How do you use your time for rest? You see, we've got to balance things with our time, realizing that God has given us all the same amount of time, but God has given us, secondly, talents. So how are you using the talents that God has given you? You know, as I have been involved in church ministry my whole life, I've discovered that every church needs help. And these people that can serve in youth ministry and children's ministry on the worship team, 
uh, maybe help doing uh, the yard work. And and uh, we have we have several teams that maintain all the grass that we have to cut. We have over ten acres that we maintain. Uh, how are you managing your talents and then your treasures? How are you managing the gifts that God has given you? How are you managing the wages that you have earned? How about your thoughts? Are you a good steward of your thought? You know, we're told to take every thought, we're to capture it, and we'll make it obedient to Christ. How about your talking in your tongue? Is that little member, that little three-inch member, that tongue of yours, is it controlled by the Spirit? James says that's the hardest thing to control is that little tongue. That's what causes all these wars and, and all the arguments. That little tongue gets in the way of a whole lot of things. If we can master that tongue, we can master our whole life. And then lastly, how are you at taking an initiative? You know, a good steward is not one that just waits for something to happen. A good steward says, I must seize the moment because we don't have moments that come too often. When God opens up a door, we walk on through it. Well, I hope this has been a blessing to you today. Every believer is a steward. How are you managing what God has put into your life today? Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. If you have a prayer request that I can pray for you about, shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.